Hello you lot, welcome back to Sporthawk Sound, the first episode of 2024, which is pretty fun. My name is Harry and today we're going to be talking through one signing that each Premier League club needs to make this January transfer window. Before we dive into that, I do just want to say I hope you had a lovely Christmas and New Year with your family, your friends, whoever you spent it with. Wishing you all the best for the new year for 2024. It's going to be a big year, so I hope that you do enjoy it and make the most of it, really. And even if you don't make the most of it, just try your best to do what makes you happy. So if anyone was asking, that's a little bit of Harry's advice for you. I think a lot of us are going to be hoping that our team does better this year than they did last year. If I'm being completely honest, I can probably think of quite a lot of fan groups on the top of my head that will be hoping that 2024 is better for them than 2023. And that includes mine. But we are definitely not here to talk about Southampton today. I got my fair share of Southampton chat out in the last podcast, which I managed to sneak in with a bit of Championship versus Premier League talk, which many of you picked up on. It probably was a bit of a controversial topic, as many of you are Premier League fans. Not everyone picked up on the tongue-in-cheek of it that I wasn't really saying that the Premier League is better than the Championship. I definitely got my fair share of messages from people over Christmas, basically saying that the whole point of the episode was try and make myself feel better about Southampton being relegated. And look... I'm not going to say that they're wrong, but that's okay because it's my podcast and I can kind of say whatever I want. So the fact I made an episode to try and get a little bit more conversation around Southampton on the podcast, well, I think that's probably okay. I'm definitely not going to be doing this every single week, but we are in such good form. We're unbeaten in 18 matches at the time of writing. It's been such a bad year to be a Southampton fan that I'm definitely going to hop upon it when we're doing okay. But I do understand that the majority of people listening to this podcast probably support Chelsea, Arsenal, whoever, and don't actually care to listen about the championship because they're never going to have to worry about it. And don't get me wrong, that is absolutely understandable. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to make my experiences known on both sides. Because to be honest, the championship has excited me this year and I have really enjoyed it. So it did actually feel like quite an interesting topic of conversation. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the championship. If you want to hear my thoughts on the championship and the Premier League, just listen to my last podcast. Oh yeah, and one last thing before we jump into the main portion of this episode. I do want to quickly mention, I'm not sure if you're actually going to be able to tell or not. Hopefully you can't. But I am actually recording from a slightly different location. I'm not at my desk today. I'm on a sofa in a different room. And that is for a couple reasons. You may or may not care. But I have found whilst recording my previous podcast that there was a bit of background noise, which could be difficult to deal with with people walking past the front door because that's where my desk is which may sound a little bit odd, but that's all right. And also, I did kind of just want to see what it was like just chilling out on the sofa and just recording in a slightly different environment and kind of see what comes from that. So hopefully the audio doesn't sound any different to it was before. I definitely don't want to be compromising on the listener experience. So let me know if you've noticed any difference at all. And with all that being said, let's jump into the main part of this episode, which is talking about and discussing which player each Premier League club should sign in January. So for this breakdown, we're going to be looking at every single Premier League club and discussing which one player they need to sign going into the second half of the season. We're just going to be going in alphabetical order and we are going to try and be as realistic as possible because in January, it is harder to sign players. I'll probably mention this throughout the video a hundred times, but everyone wants a striker in January. Most teams have decided that they need to score more goals. So probably in some cases, I am just going to look outside the box because I don't really just want to talk about strikers the whole episode. And also, signing a striker in January is even harder because of the cost. Clubs will demand a much higher fee halfway through the season than they might at the end of the season. 
And that's because they don't want to let their best striker leave. And think about it, they've only got one month to replace their star forward. So for example, if Chelsea did want to sign Victor Osman, as I've seen many reports stating, Napoli are going to charge an absolute fortune to take him off their hands. And we're going to take this into consideration throughout the show because I do want to be talking about transfers that I actually think can happen rather than what the dream scenario is. Although saying that, you never know with Chelsea, they can spend an absolute fortune in any transfer window, as we did actually see last summer. So maybe with Chelsea, we might be a little bit more ambitious. But don't get me wrong, I'm definitely not saying that no stars are going to move this January, and I'm going to be talking about some. Because we do still see big moves happen in the winter, it's just not as common. I was about to mention how Manchester United are the sort of team that wouldn't sign a big player in January. But now, actually, thinking about it, with Sir Jim Ratcliffe coming in and taking over 25% of the club, you never really know. He might want to make a big statement. So that might be something to get excited about, Man United fans. Let me know. And I mean, you guys do really need it. But I'm going to talk about what Manchester United needs later on. I'm actually going to start off with Arsenal. And actually, I think at the moment, Arsenal is one of the most interesting clubs to talk about when it comes to transfers. They probably do have a little bit of money to spend, but actually, their season so far has been a bit weird. And as it is quite well documented that Arsenal were top at Christmas and then were fourth by the turn of the new year, which isn't great. It's not really a good look and rival fans are obviously going to jump on that and make the most of it. I've heard some people saying that they're bottlers. But realistically, Arsenal aren't that far behind the top of the table. And if they do turn around their form, it's not going to be a big moment in the season. But they have seemed to hit a bit of bad form over Christmas. Yes, they did actually get a decent result against Liverpool. At the time of that game, they were the two top teams in the league. And I think Liverpool are looking really, really strong. But since that game, there's been a six-point swing. And the two games since that time have been two poor results. They lost at home 2-0 to West Ham and lost away 2-1 at Craven Cottage. Yes, West Ham are a very good team at the moment. They're very effective and I'm going to get onto them later on. But Fulham have been really up and down and every single Arsenal fan will be expecting to have won that game. And to put it in a bit of perspective, to only score one goal against West Ham and Fulham collectively. And yes, I have just said that West Ham are doing very well this season, but their defence hasn't been that great. They were also playing at the Emirates, and personally, I think that Arsenal should be scoring in every single home game. But from watching those games, what I took is that their forward line looks tired. Their main man, Bukayo Saka, looks just worn out, which is completely fair enough. He's played in almost every single minute of Arsenal's season in all competitions. But I think that's because they don't have a lot of cover for him. I also think that Martinelli on the left hasn't looked that great all season. He's still an exciting player, but he's only got two goals, which is actually a huge step down on what he was achieving last year. And then up front, I think, is their main problem. Obviously, everyone understands what Gabriel Jesus is really capable of. But since moving to Arsenal, he's not been capable of staying fit for a long period of time. And if you want to be challenging for the league, you need to have a striker you can trust to score goals at least every other game. And first of all, Jesus just isn't capable of showing up to every single game. This season in Premier League, he has actually managed 15 matches, but he's only scored three goals and got one assist. So he's not scoring on a consistent basis, but he's also not providing much for his teammates. We know that he can score goals. At the start of last season, he looked like the man before he hit his injuries. And since then, he's just not really been able to hit the heights that Arsenal need to seriously challenge for the title. They obviously have Eddie Nketiah as backup, who I think is a good goal scorer on his day. He had a ridiculous game earlier on in the season. But to be honest, I would have loved to see Arsenal give Flo Balogun a chance. 
I can't really understand why they didn't do that and why they cashed in on him. The 22-year-old does only have four goals in 14 matches, so his record at Monaco isn't much better than Jesus. And he has actually underwhelmed at Monaco this year, but we all witnessed what he was capable in the same league last season. Yes, it is quite a small sample size, but those are the sort of players that Arsenal would be looking to bring in. This might be one of those situations where the club knows more than me and just thought he hit a purple patch in his career last season. So I'm very happy to be proved wrong on this, but it was weird to me that they let him go. So anyway, I think it's pretty clear that Arsenal need a new forward. Their squad isn't perfect. Like I said, they don't have much cover on the wing and it is going to be pretty difficult to bring in a striker that Arsenal want that a club is willing to let go at this time. I don't think that Arsenal can cope another half season if Jesus gets injured. I think they need someone there to test Nketiah and Jesus and really push for that starting number nine space. But who is the big question? Well, obviously a lot of people were talking about Ivan Tony, And this signing of Ivan Tony does clearly come with a red flag that he hasn't played in a long time due to his ban. But I'm actually thinking that this might give Arsenal an advantage when they're trying to sign a player like this. Spending time out, the amount of time that Ivan Tony has spent out is inevitably going to lower his value to Brentford. And if Arsenal can get their hands on him before he starts scoring goals for them again, they might actually get a pretty good deal, which you definitely wouldn't have thought was possible before he got the ban. So it might be a little bit boring, but for Arsenal, I think a man like Ivan Tony, a goal scorer, a proven goal scorer in the Premier League is exactly what they need. And if they can get him on a lower price, I definitely think this will have massive upside. So we're going to move on from Arsenal now. And the next club is Aston Villa, who are obviously having a ridiculously good season, which is great as I'm currently living in Birmingham. The vibes are brilliant. But what do they need to improve their second half of the season, which I think is going to be extremely difficult? Because they are currently in second place, three points behind Liverpool, two points ahead of Man City and two points ahead of Arsenal as well. So if I'm completely honest, which this is so far away from where Aston Villa thought they were going to be. Well, actually, Aston Villa are a rich club right now. They spent a lot of money on their squad, not as much as the teams around them. But I think it's safe to say that their owners do have expectations to be near the top four in the near future. But saying that, I think that they are probably further ahead of the schedule than they were expecting. And also, I can't imagine that Aston Villa fans, or most of them anyway, would have expected them to be in the position that they are right now. But I'm sure they're delighted, so that's great. But what are their expectations for the end of the season? It's hard to say because now they sit in second, are their expectations going to be to finish in the top four? It's definitely possible, but it's very, very close. And it's not like Aston Villa have a big buffer between them and the team in fifth place, which is currently Spurs. It just feels like they're capitalising on a lot of inconsistency with the big teams this season. And that consistency is currently why they're in the position that they're in. But what do they need to try and stay in the top four race? Well, personally, I think that they need cover up front as well. And I think this is especially important at Aston Villa when they rely so heavily on Ollie Watkins. Shout out to Ollie Watkins, by the way. He's doing a great job. And since Unai Emery came in, he's been one of the most consistent forwards in the Premier League. Saying this, if he was to get injured, I think Aston Villa are in trouble. So my selection is a backup forward for Ollie Watkins, but someone who can challenge him and someone who can come in and start pretty comfortably. We're looking for someone who's currently scoring goals in good form and we want someone who can come in and be desperate to score that goal to try and take the position off Ollie Watkins because this is only going to improve their forward line. And yes, we're not looking for someone who's going to start every single week, but we don't want to be spending money, a decent amount of money on players who aren't going to challenge the starting 11 and improve the overall quality of the squad. 
And that is why I think Aston Villa should go and sign Jurassi from Stuttgart. The 27-year-old Guinean has 17 goals in the Bundesliga this season. Only Harry Kane has scored more than him. And I think he's at the perfect point of his career to move to the Premier League. And this guy is a goal scorer. This is by far the best season of his career. But last season, he did actually score 14 goals in 28 games on loan to Stuttgart from Rennes. But I'm kind of seeing him as a bit of a late bloomer. Yes, I said he's 27 years old, but he is a proper hot topic right now. And this is going to cost Aston Villa a decent amount of money. He's not going to come cheap. I have seen a valuation of £15 million, which I think is completely unreasonable. Stuttgart, if they're selling their best player, should be earning a lot more than that. And I expect to transfer to the Premier League to cost a lot more than that. But I guess the real question about this transfer is, is Jurassic actually going to want to leave Stuttgart right now? From experience in his career, he's clearly a player that likes to be loved. And that's when he's at the top of his game. So is moving to a new country right now, when he's in his best form of his career, is that the best time for him? Is he going to want to build something at Stuttgart? Well, Stuttgart are actually still third in the Bundesliga, which is amazing. So there's a chance he wants to stay till the end of the season and see what he can do there. And if we consider that Stuttgart were in the relegation playoff last season, it's a crazy turnaround. So if really Stuttgart are able to finish in even the top five this season and Jurassi even stays another six months, he's going to be seen as a bit of a legend there. So does he really want to give up on that? And to be honest, my basic opinion is yes, Aston Villa are going to offer him a lot of money to move to Birmingham and he's earned the chance to play in the Premier League and probably play in the Champions League or Europa League next season as well with Aston Villa. Having said that, Stuttgart are definitely not going to want to let him go, especially at this stage and especially when they're doing so well in the league. But what has been made clear over the last couple of seasons, especially since COVID, is the rich Premier League clubs have a lot more power in the transfer market over teams in Europe, unfortunately. So if Aston Villa want this to happen enough, it can probably get done. So the next team on the list is Bournemouth. And that is an interesting one because Bournemouth did start the season pretty poorly. But recently, they have been playing out of their skin. Let me just read you a couple of their results since the 11th of November. We have a 2-0 win against Newcastle, 3-1 against Sheffield United, a draw against Aston Villa, who, let me remind you, are second, a 2-0 win away at Crystal Palace, a 3-0 win against Manchester United at Old Trafford, a crazy 3-2 win against Nottingham Forest, again, another away game that they won. To be fair, in that game, I felt Nottingham Forest were a little bit unlucky, especially when they got the red card. But then they followed that up with another 3-0 win against Fulham. On New Year's Eve, they did lose 3-1 to Spurs, but I think that run of form really shows how far Bournemouth have come. So, I can imagine that Iriola is pretty happy with his squad at the moment, considering how well they're playing. But I'm sure if you offer any manager an upgrade to their squad, they will bite your hand off, regardless of their form. Dominic Solanke is obviously having a great time of it right now, but I do think they need cover up front. It looks like Kiefer Moore might be off to Leeds, so they're most likely going to need a backup striker. But I don't think that's the most important position at Bournemouth, purely because if they can keep Dom Solanke fit, there's no one else going to be getting in there. So the way I'm viewing this is that they're more likely to improve their starting eleven if they bring in a fullback. Adam Smith has been at the Cherries for quite a long time now, since January of 2014 actually, and he's made over 300 appearances for the club. So he's been a great servant for them. But I think in the new Iriola system, a right back is a position they really could improve on in the future. And if Bournemouth don't sign a right back in January, I can see them going for one in the summer. But who's the best option for the club right now? And if Rhys James had been able to stay fit at Chelsea for the majority of the season, I really would have liked to see Bournemouth go for a player like Malo Gusto on loan. 
but that doesn't seem likely anymore. So instead, I'm going for quite a young player from Ajax. It's a little bit out there, but I'm going for Devin Wrench. I am absolutely sure I've just butchered his name, so I apologise to any of the Dutch who are listening. But I first discovered this player on Football Manager a couple years ago because he's absolutely fantastic on there. And yes, he is quite young, but what I like about him is he can play right back or centre back. And I think a young, exciting, versatile centre back slash right back is really what Bournemouth are looking for right now. He's played in 13 games this season and got two assists. So his numbers going forward aren't too great, but really defensively, he is quite good. I think he's one of those players that they can jump on early because he is a really, really strong player. And he's been linked to the likes of Liverpool and Man United, but sometimes a club like Bournemouth can pull this one off. So it is a bit punchy, but I don't think a player like Wrench is going to be a first priority for Liverpool. So I'm hoping Bournemouth can just sneak in there quickly. Sometimes we see this, especially in defensive positions. He's only valued around 7 million euros. And we have also seen that Ajax are more than willing to let their best players go. Considering the state of their season, that they're not the team that they used to be. I think this is actually achievable. It's definitely ambitious, but you know, Bournemouth do have a little bit of money to throw around at the moment. Or at least it does seem that way. So I think Bournemouth should go and sign Devin Wrench from Ajax in January. It's going to be a great signing in the long term. And they're probably going to sell him for a huge fee to another Premier League club in two or three years time and make a huge profit. So the next club we're moving on to is Brentford. And it seems very clear that Ivan Tony's either going to leave to Arsenal or Chelsea in January. It's looking like a very big possibility. So my initial reaction is to replace him. And Brentford have been doing okay without Ivan Tony, But I think it's time that they bring in another forward. And they are going to have a little bit of cash to spend, hopefully after selling Tony. But let's not forget how important he was to the system at Brentford at the time. Before the forwards ban last season, he was on similar numbers to Harry Kane and Erling Haaland. I think it was only them two had scored more goals than him in the season up until that point. Wisser and Mbwemo have been doing a decent job this season. But let's be completely honest about Brentford. They're not as scary a side as they used to be. Last season, it really felt like they could beat anyone, especially with Tony up front. And they finished the season relatively strong, even without him. But it seems like they're kind of tailing off now. In recent weeks, the club have been linked with the Celtic striker, Kyogo Furuhashi. And he does have eight goals in 22 games in the Scottish League. But these numbers definitely don't scream out a player who can come in and improve. Because they're not going to be signing a player that's going to be as good as Tony. But they at least want someone who can come in and maybe become that good in the future. But I don't think a 27-year-old playing for Celtic right now is probably going to be that guy. I may be wrong on that, but that's just how I see it right now. So they may have to target a more promising young player with less games and goals under their belt. But perhaps someone with a higher ceiling. So for that reason, I'm going for another punchy player. A 20-year-old striker named Benjamin Sesko currently plays for RB Leipzig. He's not been at the club that long. He recently moved from Salzburg. But the reason I think this is possible, this may have to be a loan signing because I can't see this coming cheap. But the reason I see this as being possible is because he's not getting much game time at Leipzig right now. He's only played 13 matches. He's got three goals in that time. But when I say he's played 13 matches, most of those have been as a substitute. He's actually only played 346 minutes for Leipzig. And this primarily is because they brought in Lotus Appender from Lons this summer as well. And he has 11 goals and 4 assists. So unless he gets injured, which might be the reason that Sesko isn't going to leave Leipzig because they need that backup. But I actually don't think that Leipzig are going to be that against Sesko going out on loan. And I can see a signing like this working so well, even if it's just for six months. Because he's strong, he's big, he's quick. He's exactly what Brentford need up front. He's a different threat to what they've got up there already. If you briefly look at Sesko's numbers, they don't look great. But that is because he has been coming on in the latest stages of games. 
and hasn't really had a chance to bed into the team. But actually, if you look at the per 90 stats that he's putting up, they're really, really good. He actually scores a decent amount of goals for the minutes he's played. He's a decent dribbler and he's good in the air as well. So even if this is a six-month loan, I think this is a really decent striker option for Brentford on a short-term basis, obviously. It will be hard to get Sesko on a permanent deal as he's only just moved to Leipzig. And as many of you will know, he has a lot of potential, but I think Leipzig will see this as a development curve for him. Now, I think Brighton still need to replace that physicality that they're now lacking after selling Caicedo and McAllister in midfield. But considering they did sell some of their best players in the summer, I think Roberto Tosserbi is doing a brilliant job there. And I think everyone at the club will be pretty happy with how they're doing this season. They are currently sitting in seventh. And Billy Gilmore's played quite a lot of minutes this season. I really like him as a player. He's a really nice passer in midfield and keeps things ticking over. But I can't help but think that Brighton do need a bit of physicality in there. Although this isn't the position I'm going to be strengthening at Brighton, I'm going to be bringing in a fullback. And if I'm honest, once I took a look at this guy, I thought he's the most Brighton signing I've ever seen. He goes by the name of Valentin Barco. He plays for Boca Juniors and he can play as a left back, a midfielder, a left winger. He's very, very versatile and he's a very exciting player. He's wanted by a lot of European clubs. But I can just see Brian pulling off this signing and making him into an absolute star. He's a very strong dribbler. He's really good going forwards. He also does complete 78.9% of his tackles and he does also complete 7.8 duels a game. He's very highly rated coming out of Boca Juniors and there's rumours of him going to pretty much all of the big teams. If Brighton can pull this one off, it'd be really, really good. I think they are quite desperate for some cover for a super nan, especially because he can't seem to stay fit. And it looks like it's only going to cost around 10 to 13 million to bring in Barco. So if I was a Brighton fan, this is definitely a transfer I could get behind. Now, I've been so disappointed by Burnley this season. I was really hoping that they were going to be pushing on into mid-table at the start of the season. And that really hasn't happened. So it looks like their squad really does need some revamping over January. I don't know how possible this is going to be. I'm not really sure how much money they've got to spend. So this is quite a difficult one just to pick one position. I think they definitely need a left back though. So it does seem like this is quite an in-demand position. And Charlie Taylor has played a lot of games for Burnley. But he has put up some quite poor performances, especially against Aston Villa. So if I'm being completely honest, I'm struggling a little bit with Burnley to try and determine who can come in and improve their season. That's why at the moment, my best option who can get the fans excited is Lewis Hall on loan from Newcastle. And he doesn't really look like he's in within a shout at Newcastle, even though he's only just been brought in from Chelsea. And it looks like he's the sort of player that does need to go out to another Premier League club, maybe one that's slightly lower down the table, before he's going to come in at Newcastle and really challenge for a starting spot. It's not like Eddie Howe's not been given chances to young players. Lewis Miley and Tino Livramento have both played a decent amount of football now, but Lewis Hall really isn't getting that chance. And he is still a talented player, so I think Burnley can get behind this one. It's not going to cost him a lot of money. He's only going to come in on loan. But at the moment, it's the best option I can think of. Other than that, you've got Ryan Bertrand, who's currently without a club. And I'm sorry to any Burnley fans out there. I just don't know how much money you're going to have to spend. One other signing I really like Burnley to make is to bring Nathan Teller back on loan. He's really just not getting his chance at Leverkusen. They're doing so well this season, so I'm not surprised. But he's a player who knows the club and he brought them into the Premier League. He was one of their main players and not getting him back was a huge loss to the club and Vincent Company. So we know that he can come in and make a difference straight away. The fans love him. He's already got a relationship with most of the players. So Nathan Teller is definitely a signing I'd want to make if I was at Burnley right now. 
I'm going to swiftly move on to Chelsea and it's very clear that they need a striker. Mitchell Bocchino has already talked about it. I've already gone into this in a previous podcast about Chelsea and their problems, but starting the season with Nicholas Jackson up front as their main number nine was always going to be a worry for me. So I'm not surprised we're in a situation when they're now looking to spend big bucks on another number nine. And the name that's constantly being thrown around is Victor Osman, but I just can't see this one happening in January. First of all, it's going to cost way too much money. Napoli can charge whatever they want. He's one of the most in-demand strikers in the world. And secondly, I think people are forgetting that the player literally signed a new contract on the 23rd of December until 2026. I know there's been so many rumours about him leaving and it was looking more and more likely that he was going to leave after the whole debacle with TikTok or whatever it was. But now, after just signing the new contract, is he really going to leave in January? I'm pretty unsure that he will. So who can Chelsea sign instead? Well, I think if they don't sign Osman, they are definitely going to look at Ivan Tony as well. But in this made-up scenario, he's already gone to Arsenal from Brentford. So Ivan Tony is definitely off the cards. So therefore, I don't think that Chelsea are going to be able to sign a player that they really need to. They don't have a problem creating chances and Cole Palmer luckily has started scoring some goals for them. But the number nine that they really, really need that's going to guarantee success is going to come with a huge fee. And we know that Chelsea have that kind of money, so it could happen. Victor Osman could be on his way to Chelsea right now and I just don't realise it. And I'm immediately going to look like a bit of an idiot. But in my opinion, this isn't happening. Not right now anyway, especially where Chelsea are in the league. And I'm not going to pretend like I know who the right guy for Chelsea is right now, who's achievable. I do think that Victor Osman would be an amazing signing. I just don't think it's realistic. Players like Ollie Watkins have also been linked, but he's definitely not going to leave Aston Villa, who currently sits second in the league. He's their best player. He's their number one guy. I highly doubt he's going to go to Chelsea in January. So to be honest, I'm completely stuck on this. I think they need a striker. I just don't know who. And if Chelsea are going to go for Victor Osman and they're not going to get him until the summer, I don't then think Chelsea should go and spend another 45, 50 million on a striker just for the time in between, just for the next six months. I highly doubt this will achieve them anything. I don't think they're going to win any cups. I don't think they're going to win the league. So this one might be a bit controversial, but I'm actually going for Santiago Jimenez. The Feyenoord striker He's only 22 years old. And yes, I get it. He's probably not the striker that most Chelsea fans would hope I would be talking about. I think this one is way more realistic and he also could be a great option in the long term. He is 22 years old, but he's got a proven track record of scoring goals. He's played 16 matches this season, but he's got 18 goals and four assists. That's a ridiculous record. And I am aware that players coming from the Eredivisie don't always translate into great players in the Premier League, but his numbers are ridiculous. And I think this is more of a clever signing that Chelsea can make rather than always going for the main guy in the headlines. And I know I'm also contradicting myself. He's not going to come at a cheap fee. He's valued around 40 million euros. And he is exactly that. He's young, he's promising, and he ranks in the top 1% for goals, expected goals, non-penalty XG and shots. He's also in the top 6% for shots on target. And he's actually only scored one penalty this season as well. So he's scoring goals from open play. Because if he was to come to Chelsea, he's most likely not going to be taking the penalties. They also need someone who's good on the ball and he can do that too. He's got four assists this season, which is pretty good for a striker. He completes a decent amount of dribbles. He gets fouled quite a lot, wins quite a few penalties. And he also works pretty hard in defence as well. So yes, this might not be the striker like Osserman that Chelsea are hoping for. But Jimenez is a really, really exciting player. And Chelsea should try and snap him up before another club does. The only problem with this transfer, like I said, is if they do want to bring in Osman in the summer, they would have spent a decent amount on Jimenez and he doesn't really play another position. It's not like he can stick out on the wing. So that's definitely something to think about. But I do think this is more realistic than Osman. But I may be proved wrong. 
Anyway, now I'm going to move on to Crystal Palace, who need a forward. And I'm just going to go straight into it. I think they need someone who can play up front or on the wing. And that is why I'm going for 29-year-old Ricardo Horta from Braga. This season in Portugal, he has 13 matches, 7 goals and 2 assists. He's been at Braga for a little while now, since 2016. And he also actually has 4 goals in 12 games for Portugal, which is pretty good. His versatility would be vital for Crystal Palace. And yes, this is a punchy signing, but I'm hoping Crystal Palace can do it. Hopefully they can tempt him with some big wages over in London, because this would make a huge difference for Roy Hodgson's side going forwards. I do often feel like Crystal Palace is just missing a spark. They are pretty solid defensively, but going forwards, they just seem to lack it sometimes. Horta isn't a guarantee. He's not played in the Premier League before, but he is still a very good player and will come in and expect to start on the left or up front. He can play in an attacking midfield as well. So I am pretty happy with this one. Okay, I'm going to move on to Everton. This one is pretty obvious. I think they need a right back. Seamus Coleman has been a brilliant player for them, but he's kind of passed it. Again, he's another one who's not going to stay fit. Patterson has been their predominant starting right back, and he's a good player. He's quite young as well, but overall, I really think this is a position that they can improve on. We all know the financial situation of Everton at the moment. They don't have a lot of money to spend on transfers, or it doesn't seem that way. That's why I am bringing in Aaron Wambasaka on loan. This just feels right. He feels like a dice player. We know from his time at Manchester United that Aaron Wambasaka is just not a good offensive fullback. But for an Everton team that don't need him to have that kind of output, this seems great. And to be honest, I'm surprised this link hasn't been made more. When you look at the stats, he doesn't shine that brightly, but he's playing for a weird Man United team. He's not playing that often as well. I think consistency at Everton will do him some good. I highly doubt he's ever going to turn into the player that Manchester United need him to be. But for a club like Everton, who are in the position they're in now, after their points deduction, someone like Wambasaka, who we know can play every single game and do a decent job for them is really a solid shout and it's not going to cost them loads of money. This one just seems to make a lot of sense to me. It's good for both parties and it feels like the right next destination for Aaron Wambasaka. I can even see him moving on a permanent in the summer afterwards if the loan deal goes well. But yeah, this just makes perfect sense. Fulham have been really weird this season. They've had some really bad games, but they've also won quite a few good games. They've had a couple 5-0 wins. They recently beat Arsenal as well. So to be honest, I don't really know where I stand with them. At the moment, all you can really say is they're pretty comfortable in mid-table. And in terms of what they really need, I think they probably need a forward, someone who can actually create something. William definitely isn't hitting the kind of levels that he was hitting last season, which if I'm honest, I was completely expecting. This always seems to happen. He has one good season and then drops off. He's still got four goals, but I think Fulham are really missing that creative spark going forwards. So the player I am going to recommend is Emil Smith-Rowe, who needs some game time. I can see this being a loan signing, perhaps with an option to buy. And if Fulham can get this done, it could transform their whole season. This is one of those players which I think has so much potential when he's just not being utilised enough by Arsenal. We have seen what he's been able to do when he's given regular game time at Huddersfield and then at Arsenal. And he hasn't been a regular starter for a couple seasons. So I think he's going to be more than willing to go out on loan. And let's not forget, Arsenal are willing to give him the number 10 shirt after that one good season that he had. He's still only 23 years old, but he's played just six matches this season in the Premier League. He can play as an attacking midfielder or on the left-hand side. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the right as well. He is also going to offer that goal threat, and I think he just needs to be given the chance to play week in, week out. His stock has dropped quite a bit as he just hasn't been playing regularly. I want to see him move to another Premier League team and show us what he can do. I think Fulham will be good for him. I think this is a good opportunity for the player and for the club. Right, we're going to keep this moving. And the next club on the list is Liverpool. 
So for Liverpool, I've identified a need as centre defensive midfield and centre back. It was pretty clear that a CDM was what Liverpool needed, but Matip's injury does leave some concerns at centre back as well. But assuming I can only recommend one transfer for Liverpool in January, we are going to focus on that CDM position. And of course, they did bring in Endo in the summer, but I just don't think he's of quality that Liverpool need in the long term. He is just a stopgap, really. He's about 30 years old. I think they need someone younger and more mobile who can come in and sit there, play every single match like Fabinho did a couple seasons ago as that third defender that Liverpool used to have. The classic Jurgen Klopp system relied on the CDM playing as mainly a defender most of the time and the two wing backs pushing forwards. This allowed Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson to play as basically wingers and cross the ball into the forwards. And personally, I think this is what's holding them back this season and last season when Fabinho just wasn't on his game. They don't have that CDM to sit there and cover the wing backs and just act as that third defender. And that is exactly why I am going to be recommending Arthur Vermeeren from Royal Antwerp in Belgium. He's a very strong tackler, but he's also good on the ball, which is something that's important playing in that sixth position. Especially for a team like Liverpool, who are dominant side, we can't just have a guy in there who's just going to win the ball. We need someone who's comfortable making progressive passes. And Vermeeren is one of the most exciting players in this position in Europe, I think. He's a player who looks relaxed on the ball, but he's quite technical as well. And despite being just 19 years old, he's pretty good in the air. Oh, I've actually just checked and he's not even 19 yet. He turns 19 on 7th of Feb. He was born in 2005, by the way. Anyway, he's a decent dribbler, completes a lot of passes, a lot of accurate long balls as well. He's absolutely vital to how this Royal Antwerp side play. So a young player who's good on the ball, defensively strong, he's good dribbler. Well, what, what more can you want? For me, Arthur Vermeeren is the next big CDM. And I think a lot of big clubs are going to be after him. I can see Man United making a bid for him soon. So Liverpool really need to wrap something like this up because we don't want another Lavia situation like we had in the summer. Okay, now Luton. I think this is a pretty obvious one. Tom Lockyer has obviously been ruled out for a little while. We don't know when he is going to be back or if at all. So we wish him all the best in his recovery. Hopefully it's speedy. But obviously, Tom Lockyer is their captain, and I think they're going to be missing a strong defensive leader. I am highly doubting, though, that they're going to have a lot of money to spend in this position. And I saw this recommendation in another podcast or YouTube video. I can't remember exactly who it was, so I'm really sorry about that. But it was Eric Dyer. Now, Eric Dyer isn't the perfect player, but he's got a lot of experience and he's not wanted at Spurs. So I think they could be able to get this one for quite a small fee. He's only played 199 minutes this season, but that definitely doesn't mean he can't do a job for a team like Luton. I do think that Eric Dyer might be more well suited to a team like Luton who are going to sit back in a lot more games and he's not having to play as expansive. But I don't think this means he's a bad player. I think a team like Luton could really make the most of him and get the best of what ability he does have, which is just being a physical defender. Let's not forget he is an England international. He's played multiple games for England and he also has a lot of Premier League experience, which the Luton squad is definitely lacking. So this one seems like a pretty obvious one to me as his contract does expire at the end of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if Spurs were going to let him go. Now, Manchester City, what do they really need? First of all, I don't really like the signings that they made in the summer. I don't really rate Kovacic. I don't really rate Neves as Manchester City players. They're both very capable midfielders. But do I think they're of the quality of the players that left like Gundogan? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think it's really possible to sign a player of that quality. Gundogan was one of the best midfielders in the world last year. But it's not really like they spent insignificant fees on Neves and on Kovacic. But due to this, I don't really think that their squad is as strong in midfield as it used to be. But they're going to have to make it work. And if anyone can do it, well, it's definitely Pep Guardiola, isn't it? 
And yes, I've seen a lot of rumours about Kimmich coming in from Bayern Munich. That's just not going to happen in January. It's also going to cost them a hell of a lot of money. There's also players like Zaya Emery from PSG, but I don't think they're going to be willing to let him go. So I haven't actually gone for a midfielder. I think they're missing a goal-scoring forward. Over the last couple of seasons, they've sold Sterling, they've sold Sané, and they've sold Mahrez. And now I think they are missing someone who can come in and score goals at the back post. And Marlon has slowly become that guy that we were hoping he was going to be. He came into Borussia Dortmund with high expectations, didn't really deliver in the first couple seasons, but now he's starting to kick off. But he has also stated that he wants to leave Borussia Dortmund, so I think this might be something that can get done. I wouldn't say this is the perfect deal for Man City, but he offers them something different going forwards. And it's something that is realistic in January. He's been predominantly playing off the right-hand side, so it'd be a good replacement for Mares, who obviously left in the summer. But he can play as a left winger or as a striker as well. So again, cover for for Haaland if he was to get injured again. He takes a lot of shots and I can see Pep Guardiola really getting the most out of him on the right-hand side. Marlin is only 24 years old still. It feels like he's been around for a really long time. So he's still got time to grow and I can see this happening and doing very, very well at Man City. He's probably not the exact style of player that Manchester City will be hoping for. And when I say that, I mean the fans. But he's a different kind of winger to one they have already. And it's one that's possible. Like I said, he said he wants to leave Borussia Dortmund. So it's definitely possible to happen this January. Now, Manchester United, I don't even know where to start. I think they need a centre-back, a CDM, and definitely a right-winger. They probably need another striker as well. Now, I was tossing up who to bring in, who to save for this one, because I just had so many different options. And I've decided to go for the right-wing position. I think they're weak at centre-back, but they do at least have options there. A CDM, they do have options at least. But on the right-hand side, it looks like Jadon Sancho is going to be leaving very soon. He might be going back on loan to Bristol Dortmund. And Anthony just has been so poor. He looks, I don't know, every time I watch him play, he just doesn't look good enough to be playing in the league. I was very much in favour of giving him as much time as possible. I'm not a Manchester United fan, but just as a fan of football, I wanted to see what he could do when he's given more time to play. But he actually gets played quite a lot. He's often in the starting eleven. He just doesn't have the output. But it's not just that. He looks so one-dimensional and he doesn't create a lot either. It feels relatively similar to the kind of Mudrick deal at Chelsea, where he just hasn't been producing what he's expected. But at least Mudrick sometimes looks like a threat in games where you can't say that for Anthony. He looks slow he looks like he's always going to do the same thing when he's on the ball and he always wants to cut in on his left hand side and then whip it into the far post which never seems to go in and I think if they can sign a player in this position it could transform their attack we could start to see more out of Rashford again maybe Bruno Fernandes playing higher up the pitch and Hoyland getting a little bit more service because there's been so much criticism on Hoyland but he's just not getting any creativity behind him and that is why I'm kind of expecting Manchester United to maybe spend a little bit of cash with their new owners and pay the release clause of Michael Elise from Crystal Palace. I absolutely love watching him play. Him and Eze in that Crystal Palace team. He was also very close to moving to Chelsea last summer and that didn't happen because he decided to sign a new contract. But there has been multiple reports that that contract does have a £60 million release clause, which is definitely a lot of money to pay, especially in January, but he could be worth it. We've seen him play in the Premier League. He's more than capable. He's only 22 years old, but he has five goals and one assist in nine matches. For Crystal Palace, that's a very good record. He creates quite a lot of chances for a player in his position and that's huge this is something that Manchester United are really lacking and he's also pretty quick which means in games where Manchester United are struggling they can fall back on that because he'll always be a threat he completes 70% of his dribbles he wins a lot of fouls and he's also a really good crosser so yes I know 60 million pounds is a lot of money for a player in January but I think Elise is probably the right guy a similar sort of money you'll be playing for Bakayoko from PSV and in my opinion Elise is actually more an interesting prospect so I am going to go with Elise 
say they're going to pay his release clause. And yes, he might not transform the attack in the next six months, but over the next two years, I can see Elise really getting the fans excited and turning into a potential superstar at Old Trafford. Okay, so now Newcastle. Newcastle feel like they've had more injuries than any other team in Europe at this point. So you could definitely argue that they need players in most positions. They're having to play a lot of young players. Tino Livramento's getting quite a lot of time. Lewis Miley. Both of them have been really impressive. And I still think Eddie Howe's doing a good job. They're not going to be as good this season as they were last season. But in the long run, I think Eddie Howe needs to stay there. I've heard some people call for his head. And I mean, come on, man. You're doing better than you've ever done in the Premier League. Just enjoy the process. To be fair, I think most of those people aren't Newcastle United fans. I think most of the tune are probably pretty happy with how they're doing, regardless of their season being not quite as good as last year. But anyway, obviously, I think we need a Tonali replacement. That's pretty obvious. After his ban, it's left a bit of a hole in there. I think they could be getting Calvin Phillips on loan from Manchester City. And if he's able to stay fit, this would be really good. But this isn't actually who I'm going to be recommending for Newcastle. I think they need a goalkeeper. Depravga's not a bad player, but Nick Pope's injuries really affected them. Newcastle have been one of the best defences over the last couple seasons. But I think they need someone in there now to replace Nick Pope for the next couple months whilst he's out with his shoulder injury. Someone who's hungry and really needs to prove themselves before the Euros. I've heard a lot of talk about David De Gea maybe moving there. Obviously, he is a free agent. But for me, there's only one name here, and it's Aaron Ramsdale. He's by far the best second goalkeeper in the league. And oh my word, he really needs to get playing before the start of the Euros. Otherwise, he's got no chance of playing. He's definitely one of England's best goalkeepers. But when he's not playing, there's no way that Gareth Southgate's going to take him. And for me, a six-month loan to Newcastle is going to do them world of good. I'm not sure if Arsenal are going to be willing to let him go if something happens to Raya, they're going to want Ramsdale there as an option and also Newcastle are one of Arsenal's rivals nowadays but Ramsdale really should be pushing for a move like this otherwise I don't think he's got any ambition. Yes you could say he wants to stay at Arsenal and fight for his place but it's pretty clear that Arteta doesn't fancy him and in my opinion you need to go and play games, go and prove yourself you're not proving anything sat on the bench he's great cover, we've seen what he can do he was very good last year for Arsenal I don't think he's the perfect keeper it does worry me slightly that it doesn't seem like he can keep focus for 90 minutes and for a goalkeeper to have the right mentality I think that's more important in that position than any other on the pitch because as we've seen on numerous occasions you need the goalkeeper to be level-headed and even if you make a mistake not to lose focus it does feel a bit like Aaron Ramsdale loses focus in games but other than that I can't really see Newcastle replacing Pope with a better goalkeeper than Ramsdale now moving on to Sheffield United they are another team that need a forward they're currently bottom of the Premier League and they've only scored 15 goals, conceding 49. Their goal difference at the moment is minus 34, which is 13 worse than any other team. The next team being Burnley or minus 21. The most likely way that Sheffield United are going to turn this season around is by bringing in someone who's going to add a spark and maybe give them a chance to win a couple more games. And by that, I mean, if they can get someone to score, they might get lucky. They might still be conceding a lot of goals. Chris Wilder's obviously come in and seem to do a decent job so far, but they really are lacking going forwards. And don't get me wrong, this is not an easy fix. I don't think there's many ideal situations out there where Sheffield United buy a striker who's going to score them 10 goals in the second half of the season. But they are being heavily linked with Ben Brereton-Diaz from Villarreal on loan. And I don't mind this. He did a very good job at Blackburn, but at Villarreal, he's been really disappointing. I don't think he's even scored a goal this season. However, his performances could improve whilst playing in the Premier League. He's still only 24 years old. And to be fair, at Villarreal, yes, he hasn't scored a goal or got an assist, but he's only started two games and he's only managed to play 261 minutes 
when Ben Brereton Diaz played at Blackburn Rovers, he scored 47 goals in 161 games. And to be fair, I absolutely love the story about when he added Diaz to the end of his name and he started scoring more goals. This was when he committed himself to the Chilean national team. But his time at Villarreal, which he earned by his good performances at Blackburn, he just hasn't really played that well since. But regardless, fingers crossed for Sheffield United, he's able to replicate some of that Blackburn form. And if he is, this could give them a little bit more of an edge in games and perhaps increase their chances of staying up slightly. Okay, now Tottenham. Tottenham have had a very weird season. They've been really, really good. Obviously, they were well documented to be the top of the league for a little while. And Postacoglu plays exciting football. I think the fans can really get behind it, but they're definitely lacking at centre-back. With Romero and Van der Ven both out, they've really struggled defensively. And their backups just really haven't done it for them. In their previous game, they were playing Emerson and Ben Davies at centre-back. Obviously, neither of those guys are natural centre-backs, which is really worrying when you have to play four full-backs in your back four. Bit of a tongue twister there. But anyway, it's pretty clear for me that they need a centre-back and they need one pretty quickly. So my recommendation for Spurs comes from a suggestion from my boy Mason Tyler Smith. So shout out to you, mate. And he suggested Jean-Claire Todibo from Nice. Now, Nice are a very interesting prospect. They've only conceded nine goals in the league this season they're one of the best defenses in Europe and their kind of mismatched defense is has kind of come out of nowhere they currently sit second in the league and yeah they've only conceded nine goals yes they've only scored 19 but that's not what we're really focusing on right now and Jean-Claire Tadebo is really the jewel of the crown in their defense he sits next to Dante who's now 40 years old he's playing extremely well for a 40 year old he also looks in ridiculous shape but that is kind of besides the point Tadebo's had an interesting career so far. He started at Toulouse, then moving to Barcelona, of course, but then he was sent out on loan to various clubs like Schalke, Benfica, and then to Nice. But since moving to Nice on a permanent deal in July 2021, he's played 100 games. He's only scored one goal, but he has more or less been an ever-present in their defence. He's about six foot two, and it's quite a physical presence. He completes a lot of dribbles and a lot of accurate long balls, which will be great in this Ange Postacoglu system. He's able to make progressive passes up the pitch. He's not actually super strong in the air, which is a slight worry. So at 24 years old, he's a good age profile and he's going to be able to challenge the two guys that they have there now and probably aim to be in a starting spot within the next couple seasons. Especially if Romero keeps up his form of getting red cards. Obviously, Romero is the most red carded player in the league in the last couple seasons. So, I mean, you would suggest that even if... Sadibo comes in and he's not an automatic starter for Tottenham, he's probably still going to get plenty of opportunities to play. He's definitely a guy that's not going to be transformative straight away, at least I wouldn't expect him to be, but I think in the long term this could be a really good signing. Nice aren't necessarily going to want to let Tadebo go at this point as they are second in the league and he is definitely one of their most important players. But I think you would be hoping as a Tottenham fan that they can draw his attention from France and increase his wages substantially. I think he's almost exactly what Spurs are looking for right now. It's probably going to be quite a difficult one to get done, but if they can, I think it'll offer great value. Now, we only have two clubs left. That's West Ham and Wolves. So we're going to start with West Ham. Looking at it, this is definitely going to be one of my longer episodes. So let me know what you think about it. But as for West Ham, I think it's pretty obvious that they need a striker. Mikel Antonio has been a great servant for them, but he's just not producing consistently anymore. Jared Bowen's been playing very well up there. He's one of their most consistent players and one of their best players over the last couple years. I think shout out to David Moyes as well. He gets a lot of hate for the style of play that West Ham are doing, but they currently sit sixth in the league. They won the Conference League last year and don't forget they had to sell their best player to Arsenal. David Moyes has had to deal with all of that and he's doing a great job. I think West Ham fans really just need to be grateful for what he's done. Yes, sometimes they're not the most exciting team to watch, but they're doing so much better than they were a couple years ago before he came back. 
Now, the problem at West Ham is they don't seem to make the most out of the strikers that they've got. They had Gianluca Scamacca, who's done really well at Atalanta this year. They also had Sebastian Haller, who's doing really, really well at Borussia Dortmund, and none of them seem to do their job at West Ham. So therefore, I'm kind of targeting a player who's got slightly less expectations, and I kind of want a guy who's got Premier League experience already. So I'm assuming in this situation, both Chelsea and Arsenal have signed a striker. And then that led me to bringing up two names. The first of which is Eddie Nketiah, obviously at Arsenal. And the second is Armando Broja at Chelsea. Now, I couldn't really decide between them. I think both of them would be good options in their own right. Eddie Nketiah has shown us what he can do at Arsenal when he's given a chance, but he's not a particularly consistent player. We know that he is capable of being a good goal scorer, but if Arsenal are to bring in another forward, I think Nketiah is going to completely lose his chance. And a move for him to West Ham seems like a good step. From what he's been able to show us in the Premier League so far, I think West Ham probably is the right level for him. I'm definitely not saying that he's not going to improve in the future, but I think West Ham is probably the right place for him to try. I can almost actually see him in the West Ham colours already. Whether it's a loan deal or a permanent, Eddie Nketiah could be the main man at West Ham. The thing is with Nketiah, he is now 24 years old. I think a lot of people still think that he's in his early 20s, but now he's getting to the mid-20s. I think he really needs to go out and prove himself. When he's been given his chance this season, his finishing has been a bit off. He scored five goals, but he's just not been able to nail down his place in the starting lineup week in, week out. And then my other option for West Ham is Armando Broja, as I previously mentioned. This is another guy who's shown great potential in the Premier League when he has been given the chance. He's physical, he's strong, he's quick. And when he was trusted with the number nine position at Southampton, he really was one of their star players. The one thing with Armando Broja is he hasn't proven himself as a consistent goal scorer and he definitely hasn't proven that he can stay fit for a long period of time. That's why I am leaning towards Nketiah on this one, but Armando Broja would probably be a good option and I can see it working out well for him at West Ham. And then we're finally going to finish with Wolves. Now, Wolves had a pretty poor start to the season, but they've really picked up and gained some really good points, especially in December. At times this season, I felt really sorry for them. Out of all the Premier League clubs, it feels like a lot of decisions go against them. But over their last three games, they've beaten Chelsea 2-1 on Christmas Eve, Brentford 4-1 and then Everton 3-0. But they've actually started to show some good form going forwards, which is the first time we've been able to say this about Wolves in a long time. Huang Hee Chan has actually got 10 goals and 3 assists this season, which is by far his best ever return. We've also seen some really decent things from Neto this season after quite a poor 22-23 and I'm kind of assuming that he's going to leave in the near future and therefore I think Wolves are going to need to replace him. One guy that I really like who's probably within their budget is Norwich City's Jonathan Rowe. Whilst Norwich have been a bit hot and cold this season, this guy has been one of the most exciting players in the championship. And this would be kind of a sneaky, smart signing. He's not going to be expected to come in and make an instant difference. But I think this is a great chance for Wolves to get ahead on someone who's exciting, he's young, and he's also in really good form. He scored 10 goals this season in 24 matches, and in a lot of metrics, he looks very, very good. I just want to highlight how good he is defensively as well, which is going to be important for a team like Wolves. He completes 52% of his duels, he's made 16 blocks this season. He's very rarely dribble passed as well, for a winger that is. He wins about two and a half fouls per game. But then also going forwards, he is quite a threat. He takes a lot of shots. Like I said, he's been in good goal scoring form this season. So all this is quite promising for a player who's just 20 years old. He has also been linked to teams like Spurs, but I personally think that a mid-table club like Wolves is a better next step for him. But by the way, he scored some absolute stunners.
corners this season. Have a look on YouTube. He can play on the left, right. He's even played in defensive midfield at times. So I think Jonathan Rowe to Wolves is a great way to end this podcast. And let me know what you think. Have I made the right calls? Have I made the wrong ones? Would you be happy with the signing I recommended for your team? Remember, I am trying to recommend signings that are realistic for the January transfer window. But regardless of all that, if you did enjoy this episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and follow Sporthawk Sound if you're not already. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back very soon with another episode of Sporthawk Sound. Sound.